Just a couple of announcements, too. Uh, in uh, two weeks from now, our women's Bible study on Thursday morning is going to restart, and uh, Marika is helping to lead that. Uh, it's at Thursdays on, uh, at 10 a.m., Thursdays at 10 a.m. They're going to be studying. I think the book is All Things for Good, All Things for Good. It's a great uh, book about that great verse in the Bible. And so that's Women's Bible Study with Child Care at 10 a.m. on Thursday, a week from this Thursday. So make a note of that. That's a very good opportunity. And uh, Elder Eugene Williams did mention that we're uh, really looking for some help in our Sunday school. Uh, we have a couple of openings that are coming up in the next few months. Uh, so please prayerfully consider uh, teaching our children. That would be greatly appreciated. If you're a visitor today, uh, we'd like you to fill one of these cards out. There's one in front of you. Uh, it would be great to know that you were here. And on your way out, there will be an offering plate on the desk. If you could drop it in the offering plate, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. So we're studying in the Gospel of John, this great book, and we're in this wonderful, wonderful story of uh, Jesus and the outcast woman, the Samaritan woman, who uh, was a woman of great trouble and shame and uh, a very sinful woman. Uh, she was living with a man, cohabitating, and she had had five divorces leading up to that. And she was not, not a happy person by all that we can tell because she's out there at high noon drawing water at the well, uh, probably to avoid contact with the people back in her little town called Sychar. Um, and Jesus meets her there, and it's, it's just a beautiful interaction. We looked at it some last week. We're really trying to pick it up at verse 20 today. But it had just gotten to a very revealing moment, you know, in the conversation. Uh, Jesus had been talking about the living water that he could give her uh, in several different little ways. He mentioned that to her, and then in verse 15, she finally says, oh, hey, you know, I, I, uh, sure, uh, give it to me. I'll take it. It sounds good. Then I don't have to come back here to this well anymore, <laughs> you know, if you just give me this water that is always constantly re replenishing itself. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus sees some willingness, and it's also interesting that she's stayed in the conversation up to this point. She could have just uh, backed out and left him alone. It was awkward for her. The whole thing was kind of weird. I mean, there's all sorts of issues, you know. There's gender issues. I mean, just, just in this culture, men don't talk to women. Uh, and then, then there's the racial issue. The Jews don't talk to the Samaritans. Well, they don't talk to them, and let alone, they, they certainly wouldn't drink from something that they had touched. I mean, they, these people were very, very racially segregated and separated and prejudiced. Um, and then there's a huge religious rift uh, here, uh, because uh, the Samaritans had a, a form of the Hebrew faith, but it was sort of cut up and unusual and weird and, and had all kinds of strange derivations and deviations. 
Uh, for example, they had their own worship center up on another mountain, Mount Gerizim. They didn't, they didn't worship in Jerusalem, and they didn't go anywhere past the first five books of the Old Testament. They kind of chose what they wanted to believe. But it's interesting, though, given all that, uh, this Samaritan woman is kind of a religious person. I mean, she knows something about her faith, and she uh, seems to be looking for the Messiah, as we will get into t- today's uh, text. So it's, it's just a very interesting, provocative, wonderful little presentation, little story uh, that John is so excited to put in here uh, for many, many good reasons. So she says to him, uh, Jesus says to her in verse 16, uh, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, uh, without putting too much into that, it seems that Jesus wants, wants the relationship with her to be on a real basis, authentic, not false, not phony. Uh, it, it feels like he's calling her to face reality with him. Uh, she, he could have said, oh, great, hey, here's the water. Why don't you pray with me? Pray this simple prayer. Receive Jesus right now, and uh, you know, we'll be on the way here. Uh, no, he, he seems to be, again, I don't want to read too much into this, but it, it feels to me, clearly it's saying, I, I want to gently confront reality with you. That your life is a mess, actually. She needs salvation. She needs a savior. She doesn't need it any more than Nicodemus in the previous chapter. Nicodemus was the perfect guy, or so he thought. He needed to be delivered from his self-perceived perfection. Um, He needed to be born again. All you all need to be born again, Jesus said to him. And so, but, but Jesus is for the, the up and out and the down and out. He's for all. He's for the upper caste, the Brahmin class. If you're looking at it from an Indian point of view, which you probably weren't. <laughs> but uh, Nicodemus would be the highest caste. And the Samaritan woman, unnamed, unnamed, she'd be the outcast, the untouchable uh, person on the outside. So Jesus uh, doesn't just say, he doesn't look for the quick response from her. Uh, He he never actually does. He often will turn up the heat. When somebody says they want to receive him, he'll make it a little harder. Kind of opposite of what we would think, you know. (laughs) But he wants authentic worshipers, as he will get into in this text. But he says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. (laughs) Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You wonder how long was the silence after that? (laughs) Yeah, this is really shocking that he would know this. How in the world does he know this? She, she knows that there's really no way that he did research about this. So 
Uh, she has the classic response in verse 19. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So speaking of religious things, let me try to change the subject to something less personal. Let's talk theology. Let's have a little debate here about theology, which again, I, it's kind of remarkable for a woman with this background. You know, she's not an irreligious person. She has some education and interest. Uh, somewhere she got off, off the track. But, so she says this, uh, verse 20, and I'll, I'll try to read through the text for today, uh, and then we'll work, work on it together as we get through it. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. You know, I just love that. Okay? <laughs> he nailed it right there. <laughs> and this is a message of John, by the way. I'm sure John, the author, just, it's, it's too, too juicy to resist. <laughs> woman, believe me. Believe me. And he wrote this whole book so that we would believe in Jesus Christ. Woman, that's the same phrase he used to his mother when she asked him to make the water, uh, you know, do something about the wine at the wedding. Woman, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, and that's our word for today, ding, 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 word for the day, (laughs) worshipers, notice it in your Bible, seriously, it's the only time that word is there, it's in the noun form, okay, it's kind of cool, knowing, being, and doing, we, we believe in a unity of these things. Uh, you are what you know, and you do what you are and what you know. And the three things are interlaced. He wants us to be worshipers. Kind of exciting, huh? Not just do it, not just attend worship, but be a worshiper. And a true, authentic worshiper, a worshiper, uh, an, an informed worshiper. Yeah, that's so important in this text. We, you know, he says, we worship what we know, and you don't even worship what you know, but the hour is coming when it's changing, and the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's a beautiful idea. God the Father is seeking people, worshipers, to worship him. Worshipers who know, who are, and who do. God is spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship him must, that's that's that Same word, you must be born again. It is necessary. It is required. This must happen. They must worship in spirit and truth. Such a huge biblical theme. 
We're supposed to be informed. God has spoken. Francis Schaeffer was a great theologian and teacher of, of just the previous generation. And uh, he said many wonderful things. And one of the things I always like to remember is um, he wrote a book, He is There and He is Not Silent. God is there and He has spoken. He has revealed Himself. There's this huge theory running around that God is somehow hidden. Well, He's hidden by your choice. <laughs> you're immersed, you're drowning in, in revelation. The, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's, it's all over. And once more, he's communicated in his word, specifically, propositionally, it, words, language, sentences. That's why we should be linguists all. We should be men and women of the word. And that's this word truth. Uh, and actually, the root, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, I thought it's pretty new to me, kind of exciting. It means not hidden. That's what the word truth means. It has an alpha privative. I mean, not hidden is the word. It means revealed. It's, it's known and knowable. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and, and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Now, is she obfuscating again? Is she trying to dodge the issue? Or is she sort of putting out a feeler here? Like, wow, maybe there's something going on here. Messiah is coming. I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. Messiah and Christ are interchangeable. The words are the exact same words. One's in the Hebrew, Mashiach. And the others in uh, Greek, Christos. They both mean anointed, the chosen one. And when it's the Messiah, it's the anointed one, the one we're all looking for and hoping for. And she has that hope within her. I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And he who is called Christ is probably put in here by John because he's writing to people who don't know Hebrew, um, more, than, more than likely. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Okay, you got that right. <laughs> Jesus is the Word. <laughs> the Word became flesh. The Word exegetes God. He tells us about God. That's the very end. That's verse 18, isn't it? Yeah, 118. 118. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, ha He has made Him known. And again, the Greek word there is exegete, which is the process of bringing out. Bringing out. The Messiah will tell us all things. You're right. And here, here is the beautiful, amazing, shocking, gorgeous, straight-out claim. It's a bold, stunning, magnificent claim here. What Jesus says, very next word here. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay, again, in some sort of weirdness of popular culture, uh, the church has even allowed this to exist for some reason. There's a lot of people that say things like, well, Jesus never claimed to be Christ. <laughs> or Jesus sort of tried to become Christ. 
and it sort of grew on him, right? As he we went around and people started calling him to Christ, he said, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I am. Maybe I am the Christ. You know, and all of that is, you know, balderdash. This is wrong. No. He, here he is very early on. This is very early on in his ministry. He's straight out claiming, yes, I am the Christ. I am the Christ. If you... Uh, some of you probably are learning languages. Uh, and the Greek here is ego emi, which John loves that phrase. He's going to use it over and over, okay, in this book. And we're going to jump on it several times. Ego means I. Emi means I am. And so literally, ego emi is I, I am. Now see, later on, Jesus will get nearly stoned for that. Before Abraham was, ego emi. He's saying, I am. I am Yahweh, the self-existing one. Uh, now, the good commentators say that this, this one is probably not a straight-out statement of that. But to me, linguistically, John the author is foreshadowing many instances of this beautiful language from Jesus. I am the one who is speaking to you. I am he. I am the Messiah. A straight-out claim that he was the Savior to come. This, this just threw the woman into a beautiful, glorious tailspin, you know. God, the Holy Spirit, just opened her heart. It changed her life forever right there. And the disciples come tumbling back into the scene, always clueless, you know. <laughs> Sign up for that role. <laughs> That's me. I'm clueless. Then uh, the disciples came back. They, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Okay? This is, what are you doing? This is totally embarrassing. They don't even talk to her. They won't talk to her. She's not even there. They probably don't even look at her. They don't make eye contact with her. Because <laughs> this is a woman you're talking to. Uh, they marveled that she, they were, she was, uh, he, he was talking to a, with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? <laughs> uh, she's the one who's asking good questions. They're just uh, all tied up in their own world. So the woman left. I, I love this part. I'm kind of preaching the whole sermon here. Well, as I do this all the time. <laughs> we'll get back and I'll show you the outline. You go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's when you were supposed to say that. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I can't resist. It's, it's, uh, it's okay. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> so this is her prized possession, perhaps. I mean, she, she's slaved over this thing, carries it out. It's the same word in the wedding wine narrative, water jar. Uh, it's this symbol of human effort to meet my needs. And it, it's always empty, ultimately. It, it never stays full. <laughs> it doesn't fill itself. You can never catch up. She left it. Uh, she left it there. She left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the, out of the town and were coming to him. This large crowd of people. Here's this woman 
who, by, you know, by all speculation, but we think it's pretty sound speculation, she's ashamed of herself. That's why she's out there at noon drawing water, probably. And, so she's, and she's a woman, <laughs> and she's cohabitating with a guy, and people like to avoid her. She has a scarlet letter, uh, you know, and she runs into town, starts talking to everybody, <laughs> proclaiming that she found somebody who knows everything. Could he be the Christ? And, and it's effective. They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the work of God. God brings the results. So meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Oh, hallelujah. Christ accomplished the work. That's why we're saved. It is finished, you know. And uh, that's a glorious statement. Yes, he's effective. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, too. But you, excuse me, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You know, we kind of think that there's this crowd of guys coming out with, you know, their white shawls on, and they look ever so much like a, a, you know, field of grain coming out, amber waves of grain <laughs> um, out there. Ready for harvest. The fields are white. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So that's our text for today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this glorious story, this beautiful text, and would you please impact us with what we all should learn uh, from this story that you have carefully, uh, wonderfully delivered to us for this day. In the name of our Savior, amen. So let's look at this in two, two ways. One is seeking worshipers. I, I love the fact that the Father is seeking. He's, Jesus says, believe me. There's this claim for authority. This is our claim. Jesus is believable. Believe me. What is it? The Father is seeking true worshipers. Again, the text is just so wonderful here. Um, this is in verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, it's the same word for truth, truth, the worshipers who know what they're doing, they're authentic and real, 
They're true worshipers. They will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God desires us to worship him. Where you worship is not important. This lady says, well, is it over there or is it over here? And Jesus says, hey, the time is now here where it, it's not tied to a particular location. If you notice in my vocabulary all the time, I never call this a sanctuary. It's kind of okay if you do, but it's not, okay? <laughs> it's an auditorium. It's just a room. The church did some of the best worship ever when they met in a tomb. And yes, and yes, they set it apart for the Lord's service, and so it was kind of a sanctuary. But worship is not tied to a building or a locality. He's seeking us to be worshipers, to worship him all the time, everywhere, wherever we are. True worshipers worship him that way. We need to develop this as a lifestyle. That we're, we're people of gratitude, people who notice him, people who pray, people who intercede constantly. The Bible has all kinds of words about this. Pray without ceasing. You know? Pray constantly. You don't have to go to some guy, some special guy who's a little bit closer to God than you. Uh, no, we uh, as a, a movement of churches for, for generations upon generations, we believe the Bible teaches that every believer is a priest. The Bible says you're a, a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. And he wants all of us uh, to be able to worship constantly. And it's something we need to develop. I mean, I'm serious. That's why we're here, to grow into this role. And I'm also serious by saying, uh, you know, I'm really bad at it a lot of times. Sometimes, like uh, late Saturday night, I feel like I cannot preach tomorrow morning because I just had a big fight with my family and I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had, have ever, you know, my sister, I mean, sister, my sister in the Lord and my daughter Annalisa is there. <laughs> she may know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, 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 dad, that never happened. <laughs> but it's something we grow into, and that's why we need to be forgiven, that's why we need to start again. You know, don't let Satan, don't let Satan tell you you're a failure, you'll never do it. Quit. Just go, do some ritual thing. Do some fake, phony ritual and, and have done with it. No. He's calling us to be authentic and real and worship centers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us. Remember in, in verse 13, just up, up in chapter 4, I, 13, it says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's Jesus describing our experience with him. He gives us this living water. It's sourced from him. The more we drink it, the better off we are. You take the Lord Jesus. This is my body, which is for you. You take it. You drink the cup. You participate. You take it. That's a theme in John, which we'll be developing over the next several months if the Lord gives us an opportunity. And then it's, notice it says, the water that I will give him. 
will become in him. See, it's, again, it's not us, but it's something that God gave us, and it becomes in us. The more we participate and partake of the Word of God, the more the Word of God dwells in you richly, to pull Scripture, then it becomes a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I think it's a way to say this is God wants us to be water sources wherever we are. We're the source, not, not in ourselves, but the Word of God wells up in us so that people can come into us and drink and find out the truth about Jesus. Where you worship is not important, but how you worship is important. We worship through Jesus the Christ. Yeah. We come in spirit and in truth. Uh, in spirit means that we focus on the fact that God is spirit. Uh, he's, he's not local. He's immaterial. He can't live in any cathedral that you and I could ever make. We can't, can't house him. He transcends all of that. So, you know, God forbid, but it's happened um, millions of times. A Christian could be thrown in jail, could be kept in a little box somewhere, could be tortured. Can they worship there? Is God far from them there? No. You know, God is there. He's spirit. He, you don't go to the cathedral to find God. No. He's everywhere. He's above all that. He is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. We join him in spirit and in truth. I know I've said that several times, but Jesus says it like three or four times right here. <laughs> this is so important. We're supposed to know. We're supposed to be informed. And uh, not to get too technical, but the Bible teaches us that this, this is true. Um, it is, isn't just true to me. It's not a subjective truth to me and untrue for somebody else. This is a bigger truth that transcends all of us. It, it is true for everyone. And we can know the truth. We can study it. We can become informed. And so we worship through Jesus the Christ. He is the one who brings us to God. And God is seeking worshipers. And then finally, sending witnesses. Seeking wor worshipers and sending witnesses. We are sent by God. Did you notice that in, in the text? He says um, down in, let's see, verse, um, where is it? Well, we'll oh, there it is. Uh, my, that's not quite it. It's, it's in here. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. Okay, well, well, we'll get to it in a minute. The sent word, it's in there, believe me. <laughs> Witnesses. <laughs> so he starts with this, this question of basic needs. They're uh, saying, their disciples come back, and they're, they're saying, hey, eat, master, you must be hungry here. He hasn't had a drink yet, and he's still thirsty and hungry, probably. So verse 31, he says, they say to him, Rabbi, eat. And he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples say, well, it could be more important than the food that we brought. 
And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What is more important than meeting our basic needs? He says, doing the will of God is more important than meeting our basic needs. We ought to be willing to be uncomfortable, to go without in order to do God's will. Jesus is a huge example of that. He didn't come to be comfortable. He, didn't, he came to serve, to not to be served. You know, and too many times we think God, we're into God because God blesses us. He makes me happy. Your best life now. You know, he, he wants to make you happy. And, and serving him should be easy and rewarding and wonderful. And it, it's, it's simply not. Serving him is difficult and, and painful. And it takes commitment and, because we're doing it to obey him just like Jesus did, and we're doing it for higher good, for eternal life. And we're going against the grain. You're going against the flow. It's it's always hard to go up a river compared to going down a river. Doing God's will is more important than meeting our basic needs. God accomplishes his work through us. This is glorious right here, uh, where Jesus says this, in verse 34, look at that, and to accomplish his work. I said that that's glorious, wonderful in the Messiah, and it absolutely is true. Uh, he accomplishes the Father's work. He, he dies for our sins and accomplishes it completely forever. But there's more here. He's saying that God the Father is going to be working his will through the Samaritan woman. He wants to reach those guys in Sychar, this town of Sychar, and God will work through her witness. And she doesn't even need to ask them to make a decision. Notice there's really no press in this text. You must make a decision. Please, you know, pray with me right now. There's a proclamation and, and then waiting for God to work. And God accomplishes his work, his work, what he desires to do through us. And we can be a part of his great work. The woman simply went back as a witness saying, I want you to meet a man that told me everything I ever knew. And God worked through that. It's unlikely, but it happened. Because God works in amazing ways. God is sending witnesses How can we participate in the most important work of all time? You know, your job is probably really important, and and we all hope as believers that you do your job unto the Lord, and you're the the best whatever it is, fill in the blank, ever, because you're serving the Lord in your job. You know, amen? That's That's what we believe the Bible teaches. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. But at the same time, Whatever we do here on this earth is temporary. We're also be people who are looking for a, a bigger impact, something lasting, something bigger. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm looking for something that's eternal, something that leads to eternal life. See verse 36? Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Now, the only way for this woman to reach the people was for her to open her mouth and actually say something, actually be a witness. Jesus, I believe Jesus, 
is the Christ. Could he be the Christ? He knows everything. Uh, why don't you come and check him out? Why don't you come and listen to him? How can we participate in the most important work of all time? It's by pointing to Jesus. See the need around us. You know, look around and realize we should be constantly doing this. We, put, we have it on our board, church board agenda. Pray for the unsaved in Monterey. There's like three of them. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're everywhere. You know, we have to realize that they're lost. They're unsaved. They need the Savior. And there are many cases they don't even know it, of course. We pray for them. See the need around us. Secondly, see the potential investment. You know, how are we investing our time, even our money, our material? Are we investing it for God's plan, God's future? Something that really will last for eternity. Uh, see the potential investment. What an exciting way to use what he has given you. Jesus told that story about uh, the guy who, uh, it's a long story, but the punchline is, use your money for something worthwhile. Use your money for something worthwhile. Uh, see the power of teamwork here, too. You don't have to do it all. One witnesses, one plants, another waters. God gives the increase. And your little part in that process may simply be, you know, to say three words. But we work as a team. We re rejoice together. See verse 36. So that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. See the power of teamwork. Sending witnesses, the final slide on this. How can we help people in the most important way? This fits with that most important idea from the last slide. But what we have to realize that the most important issue in anyone's life is to be right with God, is to come and have uh, their sins forgiven. Because every human being is born condemned under the wrath of God. We're the sons of wrath. We're headed for destruction, the Bible teaches us. And the most important issue, now I can, I can, you know, I can help you cl wear clean clothing, I can get you sober, I can teach you some mor morality, that's all good, but it's not the most important thing. You can be a well-dressed moral person and go to hell if you don't know Jesus Christ. So the most important thing is to introduce them to Jesus. Come see the man who told me everything I knew. Let them hear his word. That's what these guys did, right? Uh, the, we're focusing in on the last part of the text. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. Isn't that a beautiful thing? <laughs> I want more of Jesus. You know, could you stay? Can you imagine how wonderful that was to have Jesus with you for two days, just two days? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I'm not saying no. I want more. Please stay. And Jesus stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word. Jesus taught. And you're exposed to the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the speech, the rhema of Christ, the Bible says, by the speech of God.
He talks to us in his word. Let them hear his word. They must come to know him for themselves. They must come to know him for themselves. This is why pressure tactics and emotional appeals are pretty, uh, basically a bad idea. Um, I, I don't give invitations here. I was raised in a culture where I got saved like 15 or 20 times, you know, because as a kid, you know, every, every week we had, we had a Sunday morning invitation, Sunday evening invitation, and every time I felt unsaved, <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to that, and, and, and I'm not saying that that's totally wrong, okay, please, believe me, but I, I just don't do it. I don't see it in here either. I don't see any invitation. I see, preach the word and let God bring the results. And they heard the word, and their testimony is gorgeous here, right? Verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We have heard for ourselves, and we know, gorgeous word, we know this now. We know that this is indeed, and that's the same word uh, in spirit and in truth, the same word truth. Truly, this is truly indeed the Savior of the world. Hallelujah. He's good for Samaritans, <laughs> not just Jews, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. He's good for Americans. He's good for Russians. He's good for Saudi Arabians. He's good for all people, all nations. You know, I, again, I, I'm very, very, very patriotic. Please don't take this in any way unpatriotically. But you don't have to be an American to be a Christian. Yeah, really, you don't have to become an American to get saved. Okay? <laughs> you can be a wonderful Indi uh, I Indian. <laughs> I almost said Hindu. I meant Indian. <laughs> I, I, I love India. I have some real good friends there. You can be a fantastic Indian and be a perfect Christian. Okay? Uh, you don't have to be an American to be saved. That's what this is. It's the gospel for the world. God so loved the world. He is indeed the Savior for the world. In Spanish, it is e sabemos, and we know que esta es en verdad el Salvador del mundo. Glorious. That's the truth. He's El Salvador del Mundo. He's the Savior of the world. All who believe, they must come to know him for themselves. He is the Savior for all who believe. He's looking for nouns, worshipers, knowing, being, and doing. He's looking for witnesses. Let's pray. Father, please send us to be your witnesses. Please make us as your worshipers, O oh Father, and as the people of Samaria, our brothers in Christ. Heard your word. May we hear your word, O oh Lord, and work in us through your Holy Spirit, we pray, to work repentance, to start afresh, that this week we will be worshipers and we will be witnesses. We always pray only through the authority of the one who, who in this text said, I am, I am the Messiah. We praise you. Amen.